0: and a very warm welcome to today's episode of Work Life Stories. I'm Anna Richards and I'm so pleased to be joined by Max Siegel today. Max is a transgender speaker, content creator and activist based in London. He works with brands and corporates on their internal and external diversity, equity and inclusion, LGBTQ plus and transgender inclusion initiatives. He specialises in sharing his own lived experience, creating campaigns that align with his key values, representation and authenticity. Max, it's so lovely to chat to you today. Thank you for joining me. I'm looking forward to hearing and sharing your story and some of your expertise that you offer businesses as well. So let's start at the beginning, if that's okay. When we met recently, you said that you had spent the first 28 years of your life identifying as a queer female before you transitioned. Mm. It's a long time. It's a long time. And I'd love to hear a bit more about you growing up and as a child and your feelings towards your gender and your sexuality, I suppose
1: really diving in deep at the start <laughs> yeah <exactly>. um, <laughs> it's like hang on let me get a glass of wine um, <laughs> someone who doesn't drink anymore I'd still have those moments anyway yeah let's start at the beginning so I grew up in rural South Devon uh if you don't if you listen to this and you don't know where that is uh imagine the British equivalent of the rural South of America very white very straight mildly racist um and very pretty, actually, if you want to go on holiday somewhere in the UK, but it's pretty much the benefit of it. I had a very normal, uh, I'm doing air quotes, but I realised we're not recording video. I had a very normal upbringing, you know, my mum was a teacher, my dad worked in business, for lack of a better word. Um, Very supportive family um, on the whole, but very kind of traditional in a white, straight and middle class kind of way, very similar to a a lot of people who grow up in the UK. Um, That for a lot of people would be a very productive background to grow up with. And I definitely want to say before we go into some of the more difficult things that I recognize that I have a huge amount of privilege as a queer person and as a trans person, Um, both from my upbringing, but also from the space that I existed in when I came out. Um, that being said, uh, growing up as a queer person in that environment was not the easiest thing. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that there was outward homophobia, but it definitely wasn't something that was discussed or accepted or you know, in no way celebrated or recognized as something that could be an option. You mentioned kind of the, the 28 years thing. Um, I recently said something to someone about coming out as trans age 28 and their immediate reaction was, what took you so long? Mm. And I kind of laughed it off, but the reality is that I didn't really know it was an option for a very long time. Mm. Um, I knew that being gay was an option. I knew that it was a thing. Uh, I went to an all girls school, so it was really what mostly what people got bullied for. And in that I say I knew it was a thing, I knew that it was a thing that I shouldn't be because you would get bullied and you would get hurt. And people who live that kind of lifestyle are unhappy and deviant and unsuccessful. You know That whole kind of um, very British way of discussing topics without discussing them. Mm-hmm. I think you often hear a lot of narratives of kind of queer coming out stories that are very explicit. You know, my dad said if I was gay, he'd get me out of the house and those kind of things. Mine was definitely much more subtle and I think fits much more in line with a very sort of British sensibility of, well, you know, don't be ridiculous. You know, that's, that's just not something that you, you, you have the option to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't end up exploring that part of my identity until I was in kind of my late teens. I went to uni. Uh, like many queer people kind of moving to a city for the first time was able to express my identity a bit more. I still didn't really openly identify as queer until I was in my early 20s. I was living in Bristol. Um, I then uh, kind of dated women had a long term relationship with um, a woman for sort of five, six years. Um, and that was at the time, if you'd asked me if I was happy, I would have said yes. Um, but I look back on it now and think that my understanding of what happiness looked like was very limited. And I have a thought process that's very much like, okay, well, I'm I'm doing all of the things that everyone else is doing. I have a relationship that looks pretty sort of happy and healthy. I'm going on holiday twice a year. I have a job that pays me good money. From a external checkbox perspective, everything was pretty good i now realized that i was actually very unhappy and i was using a lot of coping mechanisms to deal with that including alcohol including drugs including you know intense anxiety stress burnout all of these things that nobody really talked to me about so i i couldn't really uh recognize it for what it was without hindsight um So in (laughs) trying to figure out the timeline now, Mm -hmm. so in I think it was about twenty nineteen, um, I come back from traveling and I was really at that sort of weird moment. I think everyone has had where you're like, okay, I'm an adult now. What am I doing? Is this my life? Is I'm just going to carry on in this kind of general direction? Am I going to take? ownership and control of this or am I just going to keep going with the flow and doing all the things everyone else around me is doing and even though I wasn't necessarily conscious of it at that point I think there was a part of me that knew that I wasn't moving in the right direction I wasn't quite where I just I never seemed to get the same thing that everybody else got out of what I was doing and I didn't really understand why um and I always pause here to say that There are so many different narratives of transness. There are trans people who've known since the first second they had conscious thought that they were trans and they were in the wrong body. There are trans people who have this sudden moment of realization where they're like, oh, my God, I'm trans. Oh, my God, I'm in the wrong body. I don't have any of those things. I have this very uh, sort of subtle growing feeling of uneasiness combined with a growing awareness of what my options were. I always say to people if someone had come to me at maybe 15 16 17 and said here's a picture of a trans person this is what a trans person is uh this is what they experience and it's okay and is what you can do about it I would have been like okay that's me but nobody did that so that's I didn't really figure that out mm-hmm. and so you know that that process is very very difficult for me to describe but it effectively ends with me uh starting to live my life as a non-binary, trans-masculine person. Um, so someone who didn't identify as male or female, but leant towards a masculine, what we would see as traditionally masculine presentation or gender identity. At the beginning of 2020, that was happening. So I started uh, asking people to call me Max and that was a very sort of small circle of friends. Definitely wasn't my family. i just moved to London. It's a very common narrative with a lot of queer and trans people as they end up in this space with a lot of people around them and they're much more supported. That was definitely true for me. And then as also like a lot of people, lockdown hit and we suddenly had a lot of time alone with our thoughts, which for me, at the time was incredibly painful but now I am grateful for it because I don't know how long it would have taken me to come to terms with everything that was happening in my brain and in my life had I not had that forced reflective break that happened. So towards the end of 2020 I made the moves to start testosterone therapy. Um, which I started in November 2020 so I've now been on T for over two years. Um, I legally changed my name to Max. I came out to my parents in February 2021. I, I was already out at work because I was working for an LGBTQ dating app at the time so probably the best possible place to come out as a, as a trans guy um, and then I had, t- I had top surgery in October 2021 so 2021 was a big gift kind of medical transition and now January 2023 I am at a very uh nice point in my transition where I feel that I've kind of kind of gone over the hump of the first kind of two or three years of those experiences I yeah. feel very settled I feel very happy and I'm because of that I'm able to direct my energy towards the work that I'm doing now. So towards working on trans inclusion, towards working on LGBTQ inclusion, to neurodiversity inclusion, to speaking, to creating content. Um, and yeah, I guess that's my life story plus why I'm here. <laughs> so are we done? <laughs> <laughs> you
0: can pour that wine now. <laughs> oh, no, you can't. No, you don't drink. <laughs> I, have tea. I have tea. Tea, perfect. Tea, perfect. Well, it's, I mean, it's amazing to... To hear, really, I suppose because I don't know, maybe my sort of preconceptions might have often be of the the child that's born and feels they've got the wrong body. So mm. you know, that was a very adult decision, very adult <laughs> yes. feelings and emotions in that. You've, you know, I'm sort of interested in. Obviously, there's a sort of physical changes that you've been through, and your emotions, a huge emotional and identity changes, obviously alongside that, to come to that decision your emotions must've been further ahead than the physical. And then did they sort of mm-hmm. catch up with each other? It was, there must've been adjustments the whole way. Probably still oh, Um, Oh, one hugely.
1: Of, one of my friends who's also a trans guy, we have an ongoing joke that transitioning is like being on a roller coaster, mm. except you don't know how long it is. And yeah. you didn't really agree to be on it and you're just there and you just have to hold on and hope for the best. And there are points where it slows down and points where it speeds up. Um, a particularly good line he came up with was when he booked his top surgery and said he was just letting go of the roller coaster I'm just gonna I'm just gonna see what happens and see where the world takes me and it sounds really scary when you put it that way but it's also incredibly powerful to just put yourself in a place where you say this is right for me and I'm going to do it and I'm going to pursue it and I'm going to do what makes me happy Regardless of what people might say to me, what people might think, what the world around me might think, this is right for me. Yeah, people don't do that very often.
0: Mm.
1: And I think you know, there's there's some sessions that I am actually writing right now, which is kind of what can you learn from trans people? What what has this taught you? Because there's so much that comes from it. But to answer your original question, so you mentioned that kind of uh, the assumption of most people or the narrative that most people have of trans people of this like a child that's in the wrong body and there's a lot of discourse around that right now and I absolutely don't want to discount people who feel that because it's very very valid but the reality is that it's much easier for us to understand trans people it's much easier for cisgender people to understand the experience of transition in this idea of something being wrong and then fixing it yeah it's much easier to get there um However, it doesn't always lead us to talk about trans people in the most understanding of ways because we start off from this place of negativity, from this place of something being wrong, something being Mm -hmm. broken. For me personally, I see my body as my body and I maybe didn't present it in the right way for a big portion of my life, but now I do. But it was never a case of fixing anything. It was a case of kind of growing into myself and loving myself enough to make relevant changes. The other reason why that distinction is important is because not all trans people choose to medically transition. So by medical transition, we talk about hormones, we talk about surgery. Some people may have everything available. Some people may have none of it. All of those experiences are valid for trans people, but something that often happens is this assumption that you would want to get as close to looking and appearing as a cis person as you can and actually if that's not something somebody wants to do, it's very important that they have their option. Yeah. Um, I said I was going to answer your question, then I absolutely didn't. But that's an important, mm-hmm. <laughs> important point to make. Mm-hmm. In terms of kind of brain and body, it's a really interesting thing to think about because often trans people are asked to have this really deep understanding of themselves that very few people have. Yeah. And I always turn it back on um, people who are asking me the question, usually cisgender people so cisgender being the opposite of transgender somebody who identifies with the gender that they were assigned at birth and the thing I always say to them is I want you to think really hard about your gender I want you to think what feels good what doesn't feel good how do I relate to this thing that has been given to me because that is what it is it's something that's been given to you It's part of your identity it's the same as your last name or your first name or your family structure and when people start to think about that they find it really really hard to talk about and somehow trans people are expected to be able to do that and to create that separation so I think that I had to rely on rather than a what feels wrong it had to be a what feels right yeah. and I often say this to other trans people, uh, when they ask me about my journey, I say, you know, they'll say, I think I'm experiencing gender dysphoria, but I'm not sure. So gender dysphoria is any kind of discomfort with your body that could be related to your gender identity. So in order to legally medically transition and change your gender in the UK, you have to be diagnosed with gender dysphoria, which is a a problematic and very outdated way of doing it. We don't have time to get into any of that right now. But you have to have that that, uh, diagnosis. And a a lot of trans people get very stuck on that because it's that moment of like, I know something is wrong, but I'm not entirely sure what it is. Mm. And I always compare it to, if you've ever tried on a piece of clothing, let's say it's a t-shirt, and you look in the mirror and you go, oh, absolutely not, not for me. And everyone's had that moment and you can't really explain why. It's just not quite right. Yeah, That's my experience of gender dysphoria is... Something about this doesn't fit and I need to change it, but I'm not really sure how. What's fascinating is if you flip it on its head and you say, okay, if you can't explain to me what this dysphoria feels like, this discomfort, tell me what feels good. Tell me what you like. You look in the mirror and you're like, yeah, I'm a badass. Like I look incredible. Like tell me about your power suit. Tell me about those moments. I've never yet met a trans or non-binary person who can't tell me about that. They'll say, it feels good when I hear myself being called this name. It feels good when I hear these pronouns. It feels good when I wear these clothes and my body looks like this. So for me, I had to use that as my marker. I had to test things. I had to test pronouns. I started off with um, they, she as my pronoun. So they or she, I then went to they, them. I then went to they, he. At the moment, I mostly use he, him, like most people use he, him for me, and that's fine. I keep the they in there because I like it and it works for me. But it's very much about that journey of personal preference and trying things and understanding things. And unfortunately, the narrative around transition doesn't always allow people that flexibility. We have this real fear of people regretting making a mistake If you delve into the anti-trans movement they will speak a lot about detransition it's people who detransition don't like you change back from whatever form they have gotten to and that's not always you know feasible with certain medical transitional changes um not only is a detransition is fairly rare but it's also a question of sureness there's this whole idea that I get all the time. Are you sure you won't regret what you're doing to your body? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure you're trans? Are you sure Mm -hmm. this is right for you? Are you sure you want top surgery? And it's fascinating to me because we make so many decisions every day that we're not sure of. I personally believe that nobody can be 100% sure of anything. You can make a decision, you can make a best case decision and you can say, I think this is what's right for me and I've really thought about it. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you never quite know. And there are people out there having kids, getting married, getting tattoos, all of which are pretty permanent, life-changing decisions. And we don't ask them. But yet when we think about this, because it's so far outside of our understanding, yeah, we have to have that moment of test. So yeah, for me, I think that idea of, of understanding what feels good over what feels bad is what led me and what leads a lot of people. And I, I think that understanding is key if you are someone who is trans adjacent, um, which is a phrase I like to use for people who aren't trans, but maybe spend a lot of time with a trans person, maybe have a family member. So if you're coming into that space, it's a really, really good way to understand it is to think about what feels good and what doesn't feel good. Think about your own gender. I know I've given you a really long answer to this question, but I have one more example. It. Um. Also, can you hear me okay? that I'm in an open plan.
0: Yeah, I can hear a bit, a bit of, of background, but I can hear you. Okay, well. yeah.
1: cool. Um, so there's a TED talk and I can't remember the person who does it, but they effectively say everyone experiences gender dysphoria. And you think, I don't know what you're talking about. And they effectively explain it as most people's insecurities about their body are in some way related to gender. So if you think for me, when I presented as a woman, I always thought my shoulders are too broad. I have really, I have man shoulders and I hate them. And I used to do anything I could to like slim them down. Now I love them. Now I'm like, yes, I look incredible, but it was a huge thing for me. And I always ask when you think about the thing that you get stuck on about your body, think about the thing that you look in the mirror and you wish you could change. It is highly likely that that relates to gender. So A, it is something that you can understand, but B, that increasing freedom and flexibility when we think about gender and identity is actually very useful for everyone because it allows people to love themselves and love their body a little bit more than they might do by kind of freeing them from, oh, I'm this, so I should look like this.
0: Thank you for talking me through that. I think, yeah, you're right. There's a lot, there's a lot Mm -hmm. that I think everyone can can take from all of that. It's really interesting. Going back, Max, to... Your journey um (laughs) what what was it like telling your family am i right that you'd been taking testosterone for Mm. a while before that time
1: i had i was about uh three and a half four months on tea by the time i came out to my parents and i i need to give a disclaimer here my parents are not uh they're not the villains here they are not horrible people they're not exceptionally Mm. religious or bigoted or any of those things no they have never treated me badly and on the whole they've been incredibly supportive however they both grew up in south devon they're both uh now in their early 60s and they have a certain preconception about trans people about queerness about all of these things and i don't think my fear was necessarily that they would um kind of disown me or anything like that but It was a question of being undermined by people whose opinions I really cared about. So there's a a thing that I say to a lot of people, which is if you wouldn't take someone's advice, why are you listening to their opinion? And it's a really great way to think about things when you're coming out as trans, because there's an awful lot of people, especially on the Internet, who will have a lot of problems with it. And people often ask me how I deal with the abuse that I get on the Internet. And I'm like, I don't read any of that. I don't know those people, I don't really care what they think, they don't know anything about me but when it comes to your family, it's very very difficult to have that approach so I was really really scared to tell them, um, it took me months to get up the courage, I had my arm twisted a little bit because I was in the depths of Covid, take yourself back to, to deep deep lockdown, it's banana bread time and I'm on the, on the phone to my mum, she randomly like FaceTimed me and she went, why is your voice so croaky? Do you have a cold? And I was like, Oh god. Um and I, I didn't even really know what to say. And I was like, Oh yeah, I've just like got a bit of a bug, I think. And she was like, Is it COVID? Have you done a test? And I, obviously at this point, like my girlfriend at the time was there and she was just looking at me like, Max. And I I, I shrugged it off and distracted her. Um But it it was very much that moment of like, you do not have a lot longer until you're going to have to start to explain this. And it's a very unique set of circumstances because COVID allowed me to not see my family during that time. You know, I would see them every couple of months and I hadn't. Um, So that really pushed me. And I actually ended up coming out to them by email, which when I tell people, people are like, you emailed your parents to tell tell them that you were trans. And they asked me if I regret it. And I kind of do. But at the same time, I had some really good reasons for it, which is that I needed for them to read and process it before they responded. I did not have the capacity to cope with their initial response. And that takes a lot of self-preservation and boundaries to do that because you're saying, actually, I'm prioritizing my mental health as well as your understanding of me. Um, so it was it was a it was an interesting decision. It was right for me at the time. I sent the email, I then gave my phone to my best friend for 24 hours. And I said to my parents, this is what I'm doing. I want you, I said to them very explicitly in the email, please take time to process this, please read. I gave them like links on resources because I didn't want them to go and read like horrible stuff on the internet. So I gave them like very specific things, you know, like like a stone wall link and things yeah. like that like what is the trans person etc um and when I gave when I got my phone back they'd replied and said you know all the things you want to hear like we love you we don't really get it please can we talk to you about it and we've kind of been figuring it out since then uh, on the whole they've done pretty great I think there are a lot of trans people that would be desperate to have the response that I've had it's still not brilliant we're working on things uh this week for example with all the news about trans people in the uk i am hesitant to speak to them because i don't know what they have read and whose opinions they have read and i don't know if i'm able to share how difficult i'm finding it without necessarily having to justify that so it's an ongoing process if there is anyone listening to this who is a parent of a trans child or any parent actually please allow your child no matter how old they are to lead you on this because even though you might think they're too young to understand this they're too young to know this you have had an inherent idea of who you are in your gender identity for all of your conscious life so allow them to lead you on that and don't be afraid because my life has been improved so much by doing this I did not think I would live to this point I did not see my life at this point and now I'm 30 and engaged and potentially buying a house and doing all of these things you know trans joy is very real and is very possible to be a trans person and live a very happy normal boring life yeah and that is that is very much there and I think the number one thing that drives parents to resist their child being trans is the fear that they will have a more difficult life. And I've heard that from a lot of parents. I've heard that from my own parents. Don't be the first person to make that difficult. Particularly if they're young, but your child may end up not being trans. But one of the worst things you can do is not let them explore that. So give them that freedom, listen to them, and Give it some time because it's a big thing and it's a lot and there's a lot of people and there's a lot of opinions and there's a lot of assumptions and you're probably going to have some fights, but you can get past it. I mean, if my 84 and 86 year old grandparents can never get my pronouns wrong ever, <laughs> they are, they're Cornish. So instead of him and her, it's him er, like with the accent, but yep. they've never got my name wrong they've never got my pronouns on. they call me Maximilian because they always used to call me by my full dead name now they call me Maximilian if they can do it so can you yeah be more Mike and June that's where I, <laughs> <to> <laughs> I love
0: that you're amazing to put yourself in their shoes and see that perspective which you're completely right it's around a you know a, I can't speak for parents but the, you know a concern of of making things harder and you could yeah be one of those things can you and for for, the, for what it's worth I completely get the email and I'm not sure people would judge that if it was a letter in the old days would it like do you know what I mean I completely get that yeah. a letter rather than a conversation first up. Yeah, I
1: think it's uh, I think a lot of trans people have similar experiences I came out to my brother by text message we're not very close and my mum was saying well you have to tell him otherwise I'm going to and I was like okay well then tell him <laughs> that yeah. was my response like proper 28 year old going like 15 going on 28 like tell him then?" and then she was like no you need to do it so I, I whatsapped him and he was like I always wanted a brother <laughs> I was like... and then he said am I allowed to say that and I was like yeah that's a great response and He was like oh, okay cool <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that was, that was it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> straightforward So that's like, uh, the other thing I say: yeah. people, like people can surprise you.
0: Yeah.
1: Like there, yeah. You know, my brother yeah. is um try, trying to think of like a non-offensive way to describe him in case, in case he listens to this. He's a he's a by his own description. Actually, we had this conversation mm-hmm. recently. He takes every box on the privilege scale. He is a mm-hmm. white, well-educated mm-hmm. lawyer. He lives in Richmond, but he's you know he, he's probably the last person I expected to be fully fine with me being trans and he's just absolutely yeah. like nothing has changed at all yeah. he doesn't he doesn't care yeah in the best way possible yeah and that I kind of love him for that okay. like it's the first time I've been like oh like we could actually have a relationship now mm. it's it's really nice
0: yeah good and tell me about you know professional life now you told me I remember last time about how fantastically busy you are which is a real well, it's a sign of your talent expertise, of course. It's also a sign of the times, isn't it? That, mm. you know, I think a lot of business and corporates have great intentions with all this stuff. Like, what are, what are the big kind of challenges that you're asked to help businesses
1: with? Mm. Me bragging to you about how busy I am. Uh,
0: that was great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so busy and important. Um, <laughs> It's interesting, I think we're at this really, we're a really interesting point with with LGBTQ rights, but particularly with trans rights at the moment, that it's, yeah, you know, there's this huge uptick in conversations about it in the last three to five years. And um, in, in a phrase that only I can say because I'm trans, trans is pretty cool right now. Like a lot of people wanna talk about it, all the like, progressive organizations really wanna talk about it. And that's great for me and for my bank balance and for the community, however, There's a few things going on. There is all the political conversations, which makes companies a little bit scared. They don't wanna wade into something. They're not really sure how to do it. There's a, a budget issue. A lot of the activism that I see in the LGBTQ inclusion space in general, but especially when it comes to gender, is people being asked to do a lot of very heavy work for free. But once we get over all of those humps, The main thing I found up until very recently is either ignorance or apathy, and ignorance might be too harsh of a word. It's more of a I've never really thought about trans people and I don't really see why I should. And I completely get that. I had probably never thought about trans people until I was in my mid 20s it's not something that a lot of people come into contact with, especially if you're not in these spaces anyway. And their immediate response is just like, oh, okay, this is new and weird, I don't really get it. And I also really get that because it's a natural human response to be a bit confused, scared, reject new things. So you have this initial kind of response where people aren't really sure. And I always say it's the number one th- response I get to to my talks is oh, I had no idea. I think you've even said it today. I just I had never thought about it. I had no idea. So it's it's challenging that understanding. And I would say that maybe it's just the spaces that I move in, but most people that I speak to on a corporate basis are very open to understanding that. And they'll give me the standard disclaimer of like, Oh, I'm not sure about this. If I use the wrong language or whatever, I'm sorry. And I always just say, it's fine. Like we're learning. You you get things wrong when you learn things. That's okay. There is a patience here, but there's an effort that needs to go into it as well. There's a respect before understanding point that is probably the world's best comment for DEI like offer that respect before you get it that's okay if you don't get it but but kind of try to so it's that that lack of understanding and then that apathy to well why should I do anything about it and although it sounds really unfair I also do get that because people have their own stuff to worry about and people are thinking why is this something else that I should be adding to what I'm thinking about on a daily basis why should I be going into work doing my job and also making sure that I'm making somebody else feel included we do not have time to go through all of the reasons why DEI is important but I find that in having these conversations it's not a case of sympathy it's a case of empathy and it's a case of people understanding that Trans inclusion, LGBTQ inclusion is not taking anything from them. It is not taking anything from their rights, their access, their ability. It is simply making sure that somebody else feels as good as they do in the workplace or in a public place.
0: What do you want to see? What can your message to the listeners of this podcast be to people working for big corporates, maybe their managers or leaders of big corporates who, you know, are interested? willing because i don't think they'd be listening if they weren't Mm -hmm. what what sort of positive action would you like to see from people
1: i think it comes back to that respect before understanding Mm. idea is i know you might not get this that's okay most trans people are happy to have a chat with you about themselves so don't be afraid listen recognize this is a learning process be patient with yourself be patient with us
0: max thanks so much for talking to me today i've really really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit and i really appreciate all of your time and thank you to all of our listeners as well if you'd like to find out more about what's going on at work life central in our inclusion program and across all of our other topics as well do visit us at worklifecentral.com and stay tuned for more from work life stories coming soon